Good evening. I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm Lisa Jernigan, and I am on a journey of living the way of a peacemaker. I'm a student of the principles of peacemaking through the life and teachings of Jesus. And you know, peace is beautiful. When you hear the word peace, it sounds so peaceful, right? But what I've learned that peacemaking can be brutal. And I've experienced that firsthand. But I've also experienced that it's worth it. It, It's worth everything I have to give because it matters. Because we're living in a world and we're living in times that are screaming and looking for peacemakers. So I want to ask you a question. And before we get started in this whole conference, I want you to turn to somebody next to you. I want to ask you this question. Why are you here at this conference on peacemaking? Because I think that when you know your why... Things just start kind of falling into place. So I want you to turn to somebody next to you. I want you to share with them why you're here at this conference. Go. Okay. You can come back. It's hard to get a room full of women talking to come back and be silent, but we're going to do it. Um, I hope that you kind of know a little bit of your why, or maybe if you heard your neighbor, you went, okay, that's my why. Now I know my why. You can borrow it from your neighbor. We learn best in community, and it's great to all be here together to experience what we're going to experience over the next couple of days and dive deeper into this journey of peacemaking. My why, as I've looked at this, is I have eight grandchildren. And when I look in their faces, they're my why. Because I want them to know that I did everything I could on this earth to try to leave this world a better place for them and for their children and their children the next generation. So my why has eight little faces to it. And I think that matters because I think you've got to know why am I doing this, why it's so matter. I mean, there's so many other amazing reasons, but those are tangible reasons for me of why I entered to this journey. Well, several years ago, I had a defining moment in my life, in my leadership, and in my identity. I had been working with a friend of mine. His name is Sammy Awad. He's a Palestinian Christian um, that lives in Bethlehem. And Sammy and I had met, and when we first met several years ago, he had shared about this thing he was doing called nonlinear methodology. And he was doing it there in the Holy Land, bringing together Palestinian and Israeli women together through this nonlinear approach. And he had me. I was like leaning in because I'm all about how do we encourage women? How do we allow women to flourish and allow women to come together? And so he had been doing this methodology, so I had contacted him. I'm like, okay, i got to be a part of this. So we had, we had been dreaming and, and going, what could it look like if we got 10 Palestinian women, 10 Israeli women, and a group of about five American women together in the Holy Land, and we did this nonlinear methodology? Well, we began dreaming and planning it, and we had a date, and we were going to do it, and I was so excited. Well, then a couple of months leading up to this time, this conference, tensions started mounting over there and it started getting a little un, uh, things were unraveling and it was getting unsettled over there but sammy and i would kept talking and we kept monitoring the situation and just seeing what's going on well then a, a couple of weeks before that we were to do that he called me and he said i have some bad news the israeli women and the palestinian women have both pulled out because it is too dangerous for them to be together and to be seen together And he goes, so I want to give you the option of pulling out because it's not going to be what we had anticipated. It's not going to be what we dreamed of. I still have a woman coming from from England. She'll be there, but it is not going to be the package we dreamed of. So I want to give you the option to, you can tell your, your women and we can do it another time, but it's just not going to happen in the way that we wanted to do it. So I got off the phone and I began to think about this. 
First of all, I knew it was going to be risky and dangerous because it was going to be more risky than any other time I had traveled over there, and I knew that because tourism was basically shutting down. Secondly, I needed to contact my team, and I let, let them know and give them the opportunity to pull out if they felt necessary. And third, I thought, what do I think about this? What, what is my response to this? Do I go? Do I stay? Because I had booked a trip to Iraq that was going to connect with this trip. Well, I got off the phone with Sammy, and I remember just sitting in that place and praying and going, God, what am I supposed to do? And I just kind of thought about it, and I felt like God had, had kind of started speaking to me. And I had this defining moment, had this conversation with myself and with God, and it was kind of like this. If I say that I'm a peacemaker, but I'm only willing to go when things are peaceful, am I really a peacemaker? Because a peacemaker is needed not when things are peaceful, but when things are in conflict, when they're unsettled, when it's not real peaceful, that's when peacemakers are needed. And so I had that defining moment, and it was easy answer. I'm going because I'm a peacemaker. Well, I talked to my husband about this. I ran it by him, and he prayed about it, and he said, you know what? Nothing inside of me says you shouldn't do this. I, I really believe with all my being you should go for this. So what I did is I, I called our, my team, and I said, here's the situation. I'm going. I don't blame you if you don't want to go. Uh, here's the option. All five of them said yes. So to go to Iraq at that time, it was the second most dangerous destination for Americans. I had to take out a war risk insurance policy against kidnapping and murder. And so I took my policy out. And I was like, I'm going. I'm showing up. Now what you need to know is I had competent people and organizations on the other end of both countries. So it wasn't a reckless decision, but it was one that required faith. And so I got on a plane with five other women, and we showed up. And it was probably the most significant, life-altering trip I have taken over there. Because nobody was showing up. It was, there was nobody there. There were no Americans, no foreigners there. We were about the only one. And the thing we kept hearing from people was, thank you for coming. Thank you for showing up. Nobody else will come. And so I learned the power and the significance of just showing up. Sometimes we think we have to do these amazing things, but sometimes it's just our presence and showing up when you're needed. It takes courage to show up, even when we don't feel courageous. Nelson Mandela said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. You see, per peace is personal, and peace starts with me. So how do we practice this posture of peacemaking? I want to suggest three simple words that over time, over the years, kind of adopted as kind of these three simple words of framework that I kind of live with and kind of try to guide people into in this journey of peacemaking and transformation. And it's listen, learn, and live. So first of all, listening. What if we truly listen till it hurts? Listen longer than is comfortable. Listen longer than we really want to, to somebody else's story. We're so quick to want to be the voice and to talk. But what if we didn't talk? I have learned through this that, you know what, I have opinions, and just because I have an opinion doesn't always mean I need to share it, right? Sometimes I need to just be quiet and let the other person talk. What if we listened without making assessments and judgments? What if we were just present? We don't have to share. We don't have to, in our mind, be thinking, what do I really think, and, and putting a label on something. 
What if we create those safe places for dialogue and discussion? Are we creating those? I like, love what we're doing at this conference. We're creating a safe place where we can have this dialogue about disruptive, messy conversations about what's going on. And it's safe to share our voice, or hopefully it is. How do I let the other, the other person, how do I let them tell us who they are and listen to their identity and let them tell me who they are instead of me telling them who they are? What if I listen to who they are? You know, we are really good at telling each other who we are, but not really listening to who the other person says they are. Are we intentionally listening to the voices that are not easily heard, and are we listening to understand them better? Or do we think we already know who they are? You know, it was interesting. I took a group of women to Israel-Palestine, and we went to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum. And so we had been on this journey of peacemaking. We've been talking about how do we put ourselves in a posture of listening and learning and just sitting and being and not always having to use our voices and, our, and open our mouths. And so we went and we had this guide, this cute little lady. Her name was Hazy. And immediately what they did is they, they we were having a guided tour. And so they gave us all earbuds and, um, you know, the mic thing. And so we put them, put our earbuds in. And so Hazy is guiding us through uh, the museum, and she's talking to us. And she's just a little spitfire, and she's just sharing the story and sharing with us. And as she's going along, she would stop and she'd go, you know, this is a fascinating group of women. There's something about you that's different. I'm going to share a story with you that I don't normally share. And then she'd share a story. And then a little bit later, she would stop again, and she goes, I don't know what it is about this group, but there's something different here. I feel the need I want to share this. Well, about the second time, I thought, why does she think we're so interesting and fascinating? Because we have never said a word. We've had earbuds in our ears the entire time. We have not opened our mouths. She knows nothing about us. And then it dawned on me, we are listening to her. We are fully present with her. We are engaged with what she's having to say. And we're validating her. And in that way, we have become interesting to her and a safe place. And she felt like she could share more with us. I learned a lot from that because it's just showing up again and being there. Well, number two in the posture, first of all, it's listening and then it's learning. A learning posture is a curious one. Curiosity is much more powerful than judgment. What if we asked ourselves some hard questions? You know, we're really good at asking somebody else the hard questions, but what if we stopped and we turned it on ourselves and we had this conversation with ourselves? What if we asked ourselves, what am I allowing? Am I allowing an environment of hatred, of division, of polarization, of racism, of fill-in-the-blank? What am I allowing to happen in this community, in the world? Number two, what might I be complicit in? What am I giving voice to that I shouldn't be giving voice to, and I don't even know that? These are hard questions, because I'd rather ask it of somebody else than ask it of myself. What if in a learning position we are not the experts, but we position ourselves, we posture ourselves to learn from somebody else, and we don't come here trying to tell somebody what they need to know? What if we, in our learning posture, we assume that you have something to learn in every environment that you enter? It doesn't matter. We can learn something from every single person on this planet. A learning posture is an open one. It's open to different dialogue. It's open to different narratives. It's open to different people. 
For peace to come, we must seek to find new ways of navigating this world. How do we fit two truths in the same space? Because we have been taught that something is either right or it's either wrong. Somebody is either in or they're out. But what if we held both? What if we honored both? It doesn't mean we have to totally agree. Because, see, it's about unity, not uniformity. What if we held both? That's a different posture and a different way to do it. Lecrae said this, education should lead to informed action, and informed action should lead to liberation, justice, and repair. So number three, we, we listen, we learn, and then we live differently. We live differently. Once we have listened and learned these new ways of seeing and engaging in the world and with people, it is up to us to make the necessary adjustments in our own life to live differently. We must stay awake in our own story. It's easy to try to get, you know, just really casual, really comfortable, and just kind of stay in our story, stay in our world, stay in our community, stay where it's not, where it's convenient and it's comfortable. But what if we kind of awaken to ourself and to the to story, to the gifts, to what God has put inside of us, and we came alive in our own story? What difference could we make? When knowledge becomes action, transformation begins to happen. Injustices require responses, and transformation requires sacrifices. Now, those aren't words we really are comfortable with, especially in our culture. We don't want to really want to have to make sacrifices that are inconvenient at all. But really, that's what transformation is all about. It's allowing ourselves to be disrupted enough where we lean in more to go, what is God trying to teach me, trying to show me, that I can see it through and come out on the other side and be different? In John 17, you hear through the Gospels where Jesus is saying that they may be one as we are one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. You know, when we live in unity with each other, nothing is impossible. Think about that. Nothing is impossible. Henry Nouwen said this, When we allow ourselves to be transformed, it opens up the possibility of societal transformation that did not seem possible before. Are there some things in this world some injustices that are happening that you go, there is no hope. Nothing could ever be done. That can never be repaired. That can never be restored. That is beyond hope. And we can look around the world right now and it's on fire and go, that will never correct itself. That can never, that can never. I just got back last month from a trip to Rwanda. And I took a group of five people. and We went there in the posture of listening and learning. And it was amazing that the stories that we heard... And uh, I don't know if you know the story of Rwanda, but just 25 years ago, that country was turned upside down by the genocide. And in April of 1994, just a few days after Easter, when people were sitting in church together on Easter Sunday, when neighbors were together, two days later, the genocide erupted. And it was neighbor against neighbor. It was evil unleashed. It was a hundred, it was a million people slaughtered with machetes, in 100 days. It was devastating. 25 years ago, the entire country was affected. If I was been there and 25 years ago, I would have thought, they will never see restoration. This is awful. This is horrific. It's, it was the, um, no one ever thought that was possible. Well, I was sitting having lunch with um, one of uh, our drivers, Joseph, 
And, you know, you're really delicate when you're asking people about their story a little bit. And I'm like, were you here in 1994? And he's like, I was. And I said, are you comfortable sharing a little bit about where you were and a little bit? And he said, I was a soldier for the other side. I was living in Uganda. And I came in to the country about three months after it broke out to help bring, um, to help bring peace, basically. And uh, he said, but my wife was 14 years old at the time and lived here, her and her family. And I said, what was her story? And he said, well, my wife had a brother and a little sister and her parents. And what you have to understand about the genocide that made it so horrific on a whole other level was a lot of pastors did a lot of the killings. And a lot of the churches were not places of sanctuary, but they were death places. So pastors would bring in and invite people in, people coming in thinking they're safe, and then to spare his own life, he would turn them over and they would be killed. And so his wife and her family were invited into a church, their pastor, their church, and they started seeing what's going on. The brother did not get out, and he was killed in the church. His wife and her parents and her little sister fled, they just took off running. And he said they ran through an area of the country that, had, that was high grass and bushes. The pastor sent a man out to track them down and kill them. I know this is beyond our imagination. And so this man followed them, and he caught up with them. And with a machete, he killed the mom, the dad, and the sister. And he c- cut his wife right here and right here. And when she was hit with the machete, she kind of slumped over, and she fell down. And he thought she died. And so he left her. And he left. And so she was in that place for three days with her family dead until a soldier came and discovered her and rescued her and took her to an orphanage. And he said, to this day, she still bears the scars from the machete. And I said, did she know this man that killed her? And he said, oh, yeah. He was a friend of the family. And I said, has she ever seen him since, run into him? And he goes, oh, yeah. She go, he said, he comes over for dinner every now and then. I said, wait a minute. This man that murdered her whole family, and she's still carrying the scars from him, he comes over for dinner. And he said, yes. My wife chose forgiveness because she realized she could never be free until she forgave. And that was the story of so many people in Rwanda. And they still carry the scars, but they're living in freedom. That is a different way to live. That is living differently, and that's only by the power of God. You know, our world is looking for people to offer them hope, people that will, that will live differently, that will show them a better story. The kingdom needs leaders who are engaged, who are passionate, and who will show up. The kingdom needs to courageous and brave women like you and me who will help lead the way. Women are one of the greatest untapped resources, and we're an invisible army. And when we come together, there's no stopping us. Well, I want to take you right now. I want to show you something. And it's um, when they do a movie, they do a thing called green lighting. And it's what they do. They meet in a room. They get the studio people. And it's what they do to help move a a movie uh, forward, the project forward, so it can become a movie. So this is before has been accepted as a movie, trying to get the approval to move forward. I don't know if you saw the movie, The Greatest Showman. I want to take you, and maybe some of you have seen this clip. I've seen it probably a hundred times. It still lights me up. But this is the story of the woman who played the bearded lady in uh, The Greatest Showman. 
It's her story of how when she went to audition to do the green lighting, you're going to see this. I want you to notice her. You're going to hear a little bit. I want you to notice the people in the room that are in the room with her, and then we're going to talk about this. So take a look with me at this. Benjamin Justin just written this new song called This Is Me. And uh, we knew that it was going to be the anthem of the film, um, but no one had heard it before. And no one had heard Kiala sing it live. Kiala, who I didn't even want to come out from behind the music stand. I didn't. I, I kept saying to her, just step out, because this is your moment, and you have to step out into the ring, metaphorically, because that's what you're doing, and you've got to stand right there in front of everyone and just belt this out. And I didn't want to. In fact, I stood behind that music stand yeah. until the day of that presentation. There was a moment in the song that I actually was so scared that I had to actually grab Hugh's hand so that I had somebody to hold on to. And then we got to the end of the number, and all I remember is just deafening, deafening applause. It was a sort of otherworldly experience. It was one of those moments that will stay with me the rest of my life. Unfortunately, we filmed it. Is that not the coolest thing? What I wouldn't give to have a voice like that and just let it go. I love, I love that scene. There's so many great things about that. Because did you notice, I mean, she was scared, right? And then did you notice when she stepped into who she was? She's, I'm brave, I am bruised, I am who I meant to be. What happened in the room? The room came alive, right? People responded. You saw that the piano player comes alive. The backup singers comes alive. The room is electrified. And she's stepping into using her voice. What would it look like if we stood there and we used our voice? And we truly were who God called us to be, bruised and feeling less than courageous, but we stood there and we said, God, use me in this world at this time for such a time as this. I'm going to use everything you've given me. I'm going to go full steam ahead. Can you imagine the impact? And you know what? You'll, you'll electrify other people to join you. You'll give other people permission to use their voices and to join you in the cause. Um, Catherine Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, said this, there is no improving the future without disturbing the present. I love that. Are you ready to do some disturbing now for the sake of the future? The kingdom is asking for that, requires that, that we do some disturbing now because there's so many things that are going on in this world that is demanding peacemakers step into their calling, their identity as a peacemaker, and live the principles of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that one person can significantly change the world? Let me ask it more personally. Do you think that you can make a significant impact in this world? The truth is, it is possible. But to change the world, we have to change our mindsets. We have to change ourselves. We have to change maybe some habits. We maybe have to change the story we tell ourselves. Um, maybe somebody has said something to us that is really stuck with us, and we, we're holding on to it, and it's stopping us from really being who God called us to be, because peace starts with me. And it's necessary to, to, to change our minds, to see ourselves the way God sees us, so that we can make a significant impact. One of the single most common characteristics of influential peacemakers is that they truly believe they can make a difference, and that peace is possible. Once you embrace that, and you believe that with your core, things, transformation begins to happen. My friend, Dr. Charity Byers, says this, What begins as a small change within, a new perspective, a softer heart, a willingness to listen, or getting over a fear of the unknown, ripples out into the life that is lived. 
More compassion for others leads to bridges and relationships. Desire to understand more than being understood leads to rewriting the narrative of the other. And a willingness to put down defenses leads to unity. All of that truly has the power to build into global impact. It starts with one. It starts with you. It starts with me. So I invite you to enter into this dialogue and to a new narrative, into a better story, and to creating a better story that this world is waiting to hear and waiting for our voices. So where do we start, and how do we show up? It seems overwhelming, and there's a lot going on right now in our world. There's 70 million displaced people in our world right now. There's polarization, there's racism, the immigration. There is injustices everywhere we look. We can't sit back. We must wake up. We must step into our calling as peacemakers, and we need to transform and impact this world. So where do we, we begin? Well, when I was in South Africa recently, I learned something very beautiful. In the Zulu language, there is a greeting. When you meet somebody, to say hello, you say, Sanabani, which means, hello, I see you. The response is, I'm going to mess this up, <laughs> Nick Kahona, which says, I am here. So what if our hellos were saying, hello, I see you, and our responses were, I am here, I am present, I am with you. This could change the world. This is how we begin to show up. This is how peace begins with me. It starts with us stepping away. As Kiala stepped away from the music stand, it starts with us stepping away from the music stand and stepping out into this open space and go, what is standing in our way? from embracing the ways of a peacemaker, from writing, seeing the injustice and going, somebody's got to do something about that, it starts with me. What is standing in our way from being true to our calling, to the voice that God has given us, to who God has created us to be? Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This is our calling. This is what God is calling us into. I want to ask you to close with me in, in prayer. I want you to stand up for a moment here. And as you stand up, I want you to just open your palms like this. And I want you to just close your eyes a minute. And I want you to ask God, God, what is standing in the way? What are the barriers that I'm holding on to that is preventing me from using my voice and from showing up? What am I holding on to that I need to release to God? Ask God to reveal that to you. And now ask God, what do you want to put into my hands? Who do you say that I am? What have you given me? What do I need to to take from you, to release out into this world. God, I thank you for each woman that's here tonight and that will be here this weekend. I thank you for each presenter that's going to be speaking from their heart and speaking your truth. I pray that you would just... Um, just speak to each one of us personally. We know that peace starts with, with me. It's a personal thing. I have to own it. I can't give away what I don't own. 
Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Help us to step into that calling, that identity. Help us to see the world as you see the world. Help us to see people as you, to, as you see people. Help us to get rid of the labels and to get rid of the politics, but to see them as human beings created in your image. And from that place, help us to love this world desperately and completely and with everything we have. Give us the courage that it takes to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to be your hands and your feet. Thank you for this opportunity. Help us to step into it for such a time as this. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.